It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're privileged to have with us Senator Rick Scott at the bottom of the hour, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, wants to be the next governor of Texas. Uh, he also just got beat the COVID-19 virus, as well as his wife, white vaccinated. He wasn't. How does he feel about uh, everything now, especially with these mandates? We will discuss that. Also, if you're in the New York area uh, or anywhere in the Northeast, you've been besieged by this nonstop showers and rain. Uh, I know the West Coast needs it. Too bad there's not a big funnel where we could direct it that way or, or a big ridge, but it's not happening. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The state of Texas will step up where the federal government is not securing the border. And so they are pre-positioning resources all along the border there to send the message to those caravans. You will not be allowed into Texas. Texas DPS telling us, unlike the federal government, they will not roll out the red carpet for these caravans. And I give them so much credit for doing that, but they should not have to. That's Bill Malusian doing incredible work along with Grit Jenkins on the border for Fox News. This has to stop. Another illegal immigrant laden caravan is barreling towards our overstressed wide open border. The networks and the administration ignore it, uh, but we will not. Uh, the country needs to know that the door is not wide open, that we have some sense of security. Number two. The winner of the Virginia governor's race almost always comes from the party that does not control the White House. You go way back to 77. The <laughs> one exception on this list was in 2013. Barack Obama, Democrat, was president. That's when Terry McAuliffe first got elected governor. Well, they're trying to rationalize maybe a big upset. The mother of all off-year races in Virginia, the gubernatorial candidates, Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin, matchup is too close to call. Seven days left to go. Embedded in this contest is CRT. It's real battle, not a trumped-up Obama-defined clash. It's not about a culture clash. It's about a real clash of ideals. The latest outrage revealed and where both candidates stand coming your way. Number one. We're not anti-vax. We're anti-mandate. No one wants this rammed down their throat. The Biden administration, I understand the president made a statement the other day. Uh, I hope he can walk that back. I hope he doesn't believe that first responders should be fired without the uh, city or the municipality coming to the table and dealing direct with the affected unions. Andal Ansborough, yeah, you know him. Uh, he was on with me last night on Fox News primetime, and he's a firefighter, and he has gotten vaccinated. But many of his guys haven't, so they're about to lose their jobs November 1st, the end of the week. Is that okay with you? It's not with me. Mandate mania. Deadlines have cities on the brink of chaos. An uncompromising administration coupled with an out-of-touch cadre of liberal mayors, from teachers to cops to firefighters, medical workers, and more, ready to lose their jobs rather than take a mandated shot 100 percent unnecessary confrontation further dividing a country that is fractured by a president that said hey you know me i'm a moderate guy i'll bring everybody together man is he proven to be somebody who is not telling the truth and you see some of these protests i mean i'll give you what's happening in new york you know kyrie irving an outstanding basketball player even if you're not an nba fan know that he doesn't want to get the shot he said i'm not anti-vax i just want to be i don't want people telling me what to do with my body so he is not playing for the nets 
at all. And there was a protest for him in support of him, and they tried to storm the gates in Brooklyn. The next day, there were thousands who went over the Brooklyn Bridge in New York, stopped at about noon from any traffic from coming through because they don't want to get vaccinated because now they find it hard to believe that the government cares more about their health than they do of their own health. So they are not budging on this, and they could be losing their jobs in a matter of days. They have filed a lawsuit uh, to stop it. But so far, none of these lawsuits that 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 allows governments to mandate these shots have been successful. Here is Andrew Ansborough, a Uniform Firefighter Association president who is not anti-vax, but anti-mandate. Cut 14. We're not anti-vax. We're anti-mandate. No one wants this rammed down their throat. Uh, The Biden administration, I understand the president made a statement the other day. Uh, I hope he can walk that back. I don't believe, I hope he doesn't believe that first responders should be fired without the uh, city or the municipality coming to the table and dealing directly with the affected unions, because we have a lot of good points that are backed by science. And uh, this plan with the testing, with the vaccination plan, it works. They only allowed it to go two weeks and then they stopped the guy feel because it wasn't working for them. So that was uh, Andrew Ansborough. He joined me last night at 7 o'clock. I'll be back there again tonight. He points out, too, and is basically considered this. The NYPD, uh, among uh, the, the vaccination rate for the NYPD is about 72%. Uh, 55,000 cops and civilian members uh, are not vaccinated. Are they willing to give them up? De Blasio's pronouncement last week, the vaccination rate among the city's workforce stood at about 83%. Are you going to grind the city to a halt, cost everybody their profession, their careers, their jobs for 17% when you have herd immunity? Come on. Here's more from Ansbro. Cut 15. Well, my members are actually, uh, you know, they're pretty steadfast in their beliefs. And uh, 70% of my members, to my knowledge, have been sick through this. The department, I believe, estimates the number around 60%. But prior to that uh, test being available, uh, there were thousands of us out at the beginning of the pandemic when tests weren't available. So I put the number about 70 percent were sick. And when you, you know, uh, put that with 45 percent, 55 percent of my members vaccinated, I believe most of us are covered. Uh, this is a personal choice that everyone wants to make for themselves. And if you're telling me that the vaccine uh, antibody, the, the vaccine's effectiveness wears off, but also antibodies effectiveness wear off, why aren't they allowing us to test the antibodies on our members and use that as a level at which you could finally have to get tested? Thank you. And here's what he also said. He also said that during this time in which the pandemic was unknown and a vaccine was far away, they said, you got to work. Firefighters, cops, uh, the support person, you got to work. You're necessary. And they just started testing a few weeks ago. So the whole time, if you feel bad, don't come into work. There's no no follow up on the quarantine or how you're doing. That's it. So hundreds of, you know, dozens died. Uh, and, you know, we're trying to figure out this pandemic, uh, you know, at the beginning, you know, we didn't know it was even uh, certainly from China. Now we know for sure it is from China, maybe even intentional. And all that time now, all of a sudden you go, now the vaccine is out and most everybody got the shot. Now you want to mandate the shot and fire them for not being there. So you have to judge. You have to you don't have to wonder why they doubt the sincerity. And I should say there are fifty five thousand cops and civilian members and seventy two percent of those have been vaccinated. I want you to think fifty five thousand are not vaccinated. That would be wrong elsewhere. Seattle firemen struggled to feed their family while on unpaid leave. After six and a half years, this 38-year-old MD Pittman tells Fox News he's been pulled off his duty as an engine driver after choosing not to get vaccinated on the October 18th deadline. Is that okay with you? We're actually doing this to people who are working class amongst us? Think about all the EMTs. 
Do you want to, when you call an ambulance, do you want to wait a half hour? Or you want to wait five minutes because somebody may or may not be vaccinated. When you're vaccinated, more than likely, uh, you are not going to get it. If you do get it, you're going to have mild symptoms. What is the big deal? In the perfect world, everyone's vaccinated. But there's also, in the perfect world, no one has bad reactions to the vaccination. And we know that that is not the case. It happens. In the Chicago Police Union leads a protest yesterday. They say we will not comply. Uh, this Cook County Circuit judge uh, denies the city's request to extend a temporary restraining order. They said you have to get vaccinated, and the cops are refusing to even give the results of their vaccination. So that is the ultimate standoff, right? The FDA is meeting today for approval of COVID-19 vaccines. How soon to your 5- to 12-year-old is going to get vaccinated or else he or she will not go to school? We're already seeing some vaccination escalation when it comes to the flu shot. I'm not okay with that. Next. And I want to take too much time away from Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, but I do want to talk about the spending bill. And essentially what they're doing is looking at $1.5 trillion. Joe Manchin's not budging from that. It's a ton of money, ton of money, but it's not $3.5 and it's certainly not $6 trillion. They evidently made a tactical mistake over the weekend, according to Democratic insiders. They had their meeting of the minds on breakfast in Delaware with the president, Chuck Schumer, and Joe Manchin. Who's missing? How about Senator Sinema? How about some member of the squad? I would not have want to have breakfast with any member of the squad. Neither would you, maybe. because But they are part of the problem. They are so far to the left, moderates can't even see eye to eye with somebody in their own party. Why would Joe Biden, that's the same attitude that had him just meet with the Taliban, not with the sitting government of Afghanistan. Why would Joe Biden not meet with the other side who's got to come to the table? I don't. doesn't matter to me. I wouldn't sign off on any of this. Here's Mitt Romney on the on what will happen if this goes through. Cut 17. Well, I think the Democrats are pretty desperate. Uh, they want to get something done for the president because he's kind of circling the drain with the electorate in the country. And as a result, they're they're willing to do almost anything, I think. So I think you're going to see legislation passed. But the real problem is the legislation is not popular with the American people, and it doesn't address the concerns people have. They're concerned about inflation. They're concerned about empty shelves. And this legislation makes things worse, not better. And one thing they did is, uh, and I give Senator Sinema so much credit, she was like, I'm not raising the corporate tax rate. Why? Because the raising the corporate tax rate would hurt us internationally, not domestically. It wouldn't help us. The additional revenue would be manufacturer companies leaving our country again, making us uncompetitive again, which we were. Even Barack Obama wanted to raise the corporate tax rate, but he wouldn't, couldn't get it done. And real quick on this, there's a billionaire's tax coming down the pike. When we come back... Why do you care about 700 billionaires in this country? Because billionaires grow the economy. Their innovation, their organization is cut above people like me. And I need those people leading the charge to show me the way you can learn from them. They grow companies. They give other people opportunities to do the same exact thing. I imagine if you did a study on how many people work for Apple under Steve Jobs and saw what they became, it would be the who's who of successful people in America. That's what happens when billionaires, unless they stole the money like some— uh, oligarch in Russia, these billionaires are to be lauded, not to be taxed on unrealized income. To me, that's unconstitutional. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West is next. Then we're going to go to Senator Rick Scott. And then I'll finish this hour with your calls. And also feel free to write me at BrianKillMe.com. The President and Freedom Fighter, the book you've got to get, is going to be available one week from today. So go to BrianKillMe.com, pre-order it, or Amazon. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, welcome back. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joins us right, right now. He's joining, uh, he's uh, running for governor of Texas, senior fellow at the Media Research Institute, just got beat uh, COVID-19 uh, virus. Welcome back. Appreciate it, Colonel. Thanks for joining us. Good to be with you, Brian. Thanks so very much. Are you are you 100%? Yeah, I'm 100%. Uh, I'm on the road heading down to Houston and Got up this morning at 430 and knocked out a little 3.5-mile run, and so ready to go. Headsets or not? That say again? Do you wear headsets? No, absolutely not. you got to pay attention to what's going on around you. and uh, So you put on headsets, you don't hear any sounds or anything like that. So uh, I, just, I just always have to be paying attention uh, to everything so no cars or anything sneaks up on me. So we have another caravan heading towards your state and our country, and it doesn't seem this yeah. administration. I just I can't even look at the video anymore. It is so maddening. No other country would allow this. We're spotting it. No other network is covering this. Here's Bill Malusian from what we're seeing and what the Texas uh, the Texas uh, Rangers are doing. Cut three. We embedded with DPS earlier today. This is what we saw today. We came across one train that had more than 20 illegal immigrants who were hiding inside of a coal car, believe it or not, in the blistering heat out here. They were all single adult men. DPS had to get up there and pull them out one by one. There were 23 in total. All of them were arrested and taken to jail for criminal trespassing. They are not being handed over to the federal government. Because the federal government's letting them go. We've let 600,000 go in nine months. Colonel, what can we do? Well, you're absolutely right. And the first thing we have to do is understand that this is intentional and this is purposeful. As a matter of fact, the uh, Federal Emergency Ma- uh, Management Association, FEMA, just uh, replied back to Governor Abbott, who had asked for emergency declaration and also for emergency funding, and they said no. 
So the thing is, uh, Texas needs to stop going to the federal government, asking them, the Biden administration, to uh, see this as a crisis, see this as an emergency, see this as an issue, and we need to take over and do the things that the federal government is not doing. The Department of Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas has already told ICE that they will not be deporting people, and we know that the Customs and Border Patrol agents are just turning over illegal immigrants to these non-governmental organizations that are giving them bus tickets and plane tickets, as you saw the planes that landed up last week in New York. So it is time for us to not just arrest these individuals for trespassing. We need to uh, you know, get them off the streets and deport them ourselves and let the, the word be known that you will not enter into the state of Texas illegally. Here is uh, Areno Musaya. He's the caravan organizer. And I'm a little confused by this. He's the organizer, but he falls to president. Cut six. You know, it's heartbreaking to see what's happening. And I think Mexico is just handing up and using this as, as a money grabber for the U.S. All the Biden administration is doing is throwing money at it. You know, it's not, it's not really fixing anything. They don't even, I don't even think they care about this issue. So when I see this, it hurts me because I voted for Biden. It is impossible. It is naive for the American government not to think that the Mexican government put the Haitians from point A to point B in three or four days. And I see it. The caravans, most of them were paid by the Mexican government. Why? Maybe because they don't want the problem. Maybe because they want to pressure the U.S. and they can sell this with better money. They're using the American government because it's naive. Is it, is it did anything he say wrong? Is anything he said wrong? Well, I think that uh, the the government, uh, Biden administration, is being used by so many people. It's been used by the the criminal cartels, which are terrorist organizations, being used by Mexican government. It's been used by many of these other countries to just flood our country with people that are here illegally. But again, this is something that Joe Biden has done unconstitutionally by executive order to implement an open borders uh, agenda. So he is complicit. And if we don't get tougher here in the state of Texas, where we're number one in the nation for human and sex trafficking, then we're aiding and abetting this same problem. The people down in the border counties here in Texas, they feel abandoned. They feel abandoned definitely by the federal government. They even feel abandoned by their own state government. And again, this is a number one issue why, you know, I made the decision back in uh, June, July to run for governor of the state of Texas. Because someone has to stand up and do what is right by the Constitution and fight back against this invasion. That's what the founding fathers called it in the Constitution. So what would you do different? I mean, they're already maximizing the, your, your security forces, aren't they? We're not maximizing our security forces. Uh, here in Texas, we have 26,000 members in the Texas military department. And I sat down with some military planner, retired military planner friends of mine, and we looked at, you know, five or 6,000 on the major infiltration routes to be able to interdict these people. You know, when you hear Bill Malusian talking about single military-age males, many of them dressed in camouflage, dressed in black with back. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available where Wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. 
those people should not be coming across uh, into the United States of America. We need to be able to deter and turn these folks around. We need to be able to deport them. We need to uh, revoke the licenses of these non-governmental organizations that are operating here in Texas as uh, travel agencies for these, uh, these illegal immigrants. And we have got to now take the fight to the uh, cartels. They're no different from the Taliban, Brian. They are non-state, non-uniform belligerents. This is an insurgency. They're firing shots across the Rio Grande River into the state of Texas, and we need to treat them as such. And we need to declare them as a terrorist organization, go after their resourcing, their funding, and freeze and seize their assets. That's what I would do different. So uh, if people want to support your run, where do they go? They go to West, the number four, Texas.com, West4Texas.com. And I want people to understand this, that what is happening on our border has a, an effect upon you no matter where you are. We've seen it in New York, Florida, and Tennessee. Senator Rick Scott is coming up next. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, thanks so much. Rick Scott's in charge of turning the Senate back red. How close is he? We'll discuss it and more. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I believe in taxes to make our country great. Absolutely. Uh, I don't think a balance sheet billionaire's tax is the way to do it. If they do, Brian, all it's going to do is make me not build as much because I won't have the ability that creates so many more jobs. And then you're paying so many different taxes. Every employee pays payroll taxes, all your sales taxes, all the taxes they pay. It, it, it's truly a mistake. It's, it's, it's a social way of not doing things in this country. It's the European way. Our great capitalism will slowly come to an end. Yes, Tillman Fertitta uh, talking about he's a billionaire. I think he's 144 in the uh, Forbes 100, and he has countless businesses, hundreds of restaurants. He has seven casinos, owns the Houston Rockets, and he's, yeah, he's a billionaire. He's like, you're going to tax me on, on what perceived value is on the stock in that year, even if I didn't cash out on it. I believe it's a, viol- it's a violation of the 1913 uh, tax law in our Constitution but Senator Rick's got also a self-made success story. No one gave him anything. So all of a sudden, we're going to vilify and ultimately tax the rich because a couple of moderate Democrats said, I do not want to raise taxes on the top bracket and on the corporate America. This is about the spending deal they're efforting right now, scrambling to pass on a pure Democratic Party basis. I don't have to inform Rick Scott of that. He's been following it from afar because they will not deal him in. Senator Rick Scott of Florida, welcome back. Brian, think about it this way. This 3.5, which is really 5.5 trillion, whatever the number is, it's going to be trillions. It's, it's now before Congress. Think of it. It's written by Bernie Sanders. He's an about socialist. This is all, this is big government socialism and tax and tax and tax. And you know, they never collect the tax they say they're going to tax, right? It, it never happens. By the way, these are the same socialist Democrats that say, well, we do want to re- reduce the taxes on the rich. If you live in New York or New Jersey, we want to reduce those taxes, but not, not no, for the rest of people, we want to raise your taxes. So, I mean, they're, they're just hypocrites. What do you say to people? Oh, I have no sympathy for the billionaires. They can afford to give up money. How does that really work? I mean, the explaining to, he's explaining to us that, you know, if you're going to start taxing me, I'm going to stop building. 
I'm going to stop buying. Well, I'm going to stop hiring happens. people. And it, with them, not hiring everyone from the guy who or the people that clean the building to the executives right. who will work under them. If you if you ta- if you do more taxes on on the rich, right, and they already pay more taxes, if you do that, just means they have less money to invest. If they invest less, we get more less jobs. If we get less jobs, who gets hurt? The people at the bottom. I mean, that's that's what they don't get. Everything they're doing, it hurts families like mine growing up. I grew up in public housing. That's who they hurt. They hurt people like that. They can't get the job or can't get the promotion because they kill the job market. We have got to figure out how to grow the job market. Socialism kills the job market. These guys, these Democrats have all become socialists led by Bernie Sanders. That's who they are. So over the weekend, it was uh, maybe you can unwind this for me. Maybe you can't. But uh, President Biden, again, took another weekend in Delaware where they're, they're implementing a security fence. Uh, the Secret Service wants it there, but we can't get a fence on our border. But he gets a security fence for his vacation home. And he meets with just Schumer and just Manchin. Guess who's ticked off? Not that I care, but it manage, manages to it'll, – it'll, it'll really affect the outcome of the bill. He left the whole squad home. I mean, this, this guy is supposed to bring people together. He doesn't even have to negotiate. No. Well, first off, he just wants to spend your money. He has no plan. He has no idea what he's doing. Look at the border now. About one out of what, every 200 people in America today came here illegally this year. We don't know anything about their backgrounds. All right. I mean, look at all these people camping in Afghanistan. They're not vetted. Right. And now in the southern border, what now over 1.7 million people have come come across the border. We don't know. I mean, do they do they test for COVID? Do they give them a vaccine? We don't. They're, they're, they're doing nothing for security. Mayorkas, the secretary of HHS, has to resign. He has completely lied to us. He said the border was secure at the, our last hearing. It is not secure. Right? He said he's going to send the Haitians back. He didn't. I mean, this this guy, I don't know why he believes in open borders, but it's all Joe Biden's doing. This has got to stop. What, what, see, if you have, this is why I've, I've always said, I don't get it. If you have 23 percent approval on your border, if 76 percent of the American public are concerned about an open border, how does it make political sense for you not to do something? Oh, you, you, I mean, I've been doing polls. I'm the chair of the National Republican Central Committee. And if you look at the year, we, we put them out on our website, NRSC.org, and, he, and it shows you the Biden agenda was unpopular. From the beginning, unpopular. Now, as a result of the debacle in Afghanistan, he's unpopular. I mean, look at, you know, Terry McAuliffe is not out there saying, oh, I'm going to do everything Joe Biden's going to do in Virginia to elect me. No, he's he's walking away from Biden. He knows that Biden's a problem. Uh, and, and the school, I mean, what, what they're doing to our schools where they're telling parents you have no right to, to, to deal with, to do anything with a kid's education. And whose kids are they? They're not the government's. There are kids. And so and that's why I'm, I'm hoping Yunkin wins in, in Virginia, and it will hopefully will be a wake-up call to these Democrats. We do not want socialism in this country. We don't need bo- bigger government. We need, we're sick and tired of you telling us what to do. Don't tell me I have to go get a vaccine. Teach me. Tell me. Tell me why I should do it. Don't just mandate it to me. I want you to hear what President Obama said because he feels as though you're just doing trumped-up culture wars. Cut 10. Here we are trying to recover from a global pandemic that has killed more than 700,000 Americans, put millions in harm's way. We don't have time to waste on phony culture wars or fake outrage that the right-wing media are peddling just to juice up your ratings. 
We should be building on the progress we've made, not tearing it down. That's not what this election's all about. That's, what, that's not what you need, Jersey. So instead of forcing schools to cut back, we should be doing more to support the people who are educating our kids. This is the, this is the divider-in-chief himself, yep. okay, who never supported law enforcement, right? who had the most, most political attorney general probably as, as far as I know in our history, and he's talking about Republicans are having culture wars. No, these are our kids. We decide what we want them to learn. We get to make sure that when we believe in God, that, that we can talk about God. We, and when we say we, we believe in our founding fathers, what they did, built the greatest country ever built, we don't want them torn down. We love the Pledge of Allegiance. We like the National Anthem. We want our kids to learn all those things that we learned. So you, you the Democrats, you the socialists, you're not going to do that to our kids. So here's uh, Ian Pryor. Is this a phony socialist? See, one thing about Senator Rick Scott, uh, Rick, you, you win. And no matter what happens, you, try, you find a way to win. The one thing about Barack Obama, he always had good political instincts. Even his greatest detractor would point that out. He missed this. He thinks, oh. this, is, he thinks this is just an a, uh, issue to run on. Here's Ian Pryor. Uh, used to work for the Department of Justice, who became a parent in the middle of this, but equipped to run this group of parents who are tired of their kids being taught CRT, cut 11. You know, people on, of a certain political persuasion right now, as specifically Democrats, are not picking up on what is going on in this country. And what is going on is that parents, grandparents, are concerned for the future of their children, they're concerned for the future of this country that their children are going to have to live in, they, they are f feeling shut out of the educational process, and they feel trapped. You know, they may not be able to afford private school. They might not have time for homeschooling. So they have to hold the public schools accountable, and the public schools are acting like petty political tyrants. And they're getting air support from people like Merrick Garland and Barack Obama and Terry McAuliffe and whoever else just it refuses to listen to those parents. Do you see? I, I think he's 100 percent on the money. Oh, he, they've completely missed out. We do. I do polls. One, I just did a suburban suburban poll around the country. Something close to eighty percent of suburban voters are fed up with the public school system. Something like the same percentage of Hispanic voters are fed up with the public school system. They know that this is not good for their kids. What the what the schools are teaching today is this this left wing radical ideas is not good for the country. What we should be teaching is the respect for the flag that we be, should be saying the national anthem. We should be talking about how great this country is, not tear it down every day is what they're trying to do. I want you to hear, I know your goal is to get back to Senate. It's not going to be easy this cycle, and it wasn't easy even to get 50 this time, uh, but you should actually held on to Georgia. The guy who wants to win that seat from Raphael Warnock is uh, Herschel Walker. Here's what he told us why he's running. Well, first of all, you know, people ask, why am I running? And I say, look around you. you. Do people see what's going on? And you spoke about it earlier with inflation going off the roof. You know, crime has gotten absolutely terrible right now. We're teaching kids to hate America. And, and you're going to ask me, why am I running? I'm running because this is not America. This is not the America I grew up in. And things are going very well. You know, in five and a half weeks, uh, you know, we raised over $3.7 million, which is very, very good. So yesterday, John Thune, who was a skeptic of Herschel Walker, said, he's, he's my guy. I'm going to support him. You know, he's, I think he's third in command in the, on the Republican side in the Senate. Does Rick Scott uh, get behind Herschel Walker? Are you still making a decision on that? 
I'm not going to get involved in any primaries. Uh, I'm, I'm the chair of the National Republican Central Committee. I love all Republicans. I want them to go fight in the primaries like I had to do back in 2010. Prove that you're the best candidate. I believe the people of Georgia will pick the right person. The same with Missouri and Ohio and the other states where we have primaries. And I believe these individuals are going to be well-tested and they're going to be ready to win next November. So you, you're not going to put your hand on the scale, even if you feel as though nope. one man or woman has a better chance than somebody else? No. Nope. I am I am focused on winning general elections. And so I'm going to let the voters of these states pick their candidates, and then I'm going to make sure we have the resources. We make sure we uh, they know exactly what the Democrats are doing. So we already were running ads. We were making sure everybody knows that Mark Kelly is works. He works basically for Chuck Schumer. So does Cortez Masto in Nevada. So does Hassam up in New Hampshire. And so does Raphael Warnick in Georgia. They don't represent their state. They represent whatever Chuck Schumer tells them to do. That's exactly what those four do. And we're going to beat each one of them next November because of that reason. Senator, uh, lastly, just about uh, our uh, supply chain. If you were right now told fix it, fix what's going on at our ports, fix the backlog, what would you do first? I've dealt with this. I've dealt with hurricanes. I, I put $1.4 billion in our ports when I was governor. I'm a business guy. This is what you do. You take piece by piece. Step one, stop this vaccine mandate. All you're going to do is reduce the number of workers you have. Why would you do that? Look at every regulation you have and say, is that regulation reducing the number of truck drivers I had? My dad was my adopted dad was a truck driver. I mean, he might not feel comfortable getting the vaccine the way it's been sold. So, but, so he has to quit his job now? That's stupid. We, we ought to step back and say to ourselves, Let's take each regulation and, and, and listen and say, is that hurting the supply chain? If it is, we're stopping it. Right now, we're, we're going we're gonna to get rid of all these regulations. That's what I did when I had hurricanes. I had four massive hurricanes. I got rid of regulations that would prevent me from getting gas around the state. I got rid of regulations that would prevent me from getting people evacuated or from getting uh, shelters open. I said, I'm, we're not going to have it. That might be nice to have when the things are perfect. It's not perfect now. And this inflation is just devastating to the poorest people in this country. Like my mom, when I, I watched her growing up, worried about how much, um, how much food was going up every week. She told my older brother and me when we went to the store, here's how much money I have. You have got to be careful how much money, how, you know, how, what everything costs. If it goes up, well, you cannot buy it. We don't have enough money. That's going on all across this country right now. It's hurting the poor. And what the Biden's team do? Oh, they say it's a high-class problem. Well, I'm sure for them the product closer are more expensive, but that's not who it's hurting. It's hurting the pe- people that can't afford the gas to get to work, can't afford to put food on the table like my mom was struggling to do. That's who it's hurting. This has got to stop. The Biden administration has no plan to solve any problems in this country. They're like commentators. All used to be on CNN. They feel like they're still on CNN. They say, oh, yeah, we're going to have inflation. No, that's your job. Your job now is to fix inflation. Don't tell me we're going to have it. I get hear tired you. of this stuff. Uh, it's Do a, something. Yeah, there's nothing, yeah, it's all in reaction. And uh, maybe, uh, lastly, real, exit, real quick exit question. Right now, most polls... Uh, are one or two points separating McAuliffe and Youngkin. What will it tell you if uh, if the Democrats squeeze out a win? What will it tell you if the Republicans squeeze out a win? What would you take from this? It's a wake-up call whether Youngkin wins or not. This race is so close. It's a wake-up call that Democrats better understand. We do not want Bernie Sanders socialism in this country. We don't want higher taxes. We don't want bigger government. We don't want you to tell us how to lead our lives. Stop Telling us how to lead our life? I'm, I don't want to be told how to lead my life. You don't either. I don't know anybody says, oh, yeah, government's so much smarter than me. I'll let them make my decisions for me. No, we don't believe that way. Hear you. Uh, Senator Rick Scott, thanks so much. 
All right. See you, Brian. Have All a right. good day. You too. I uh, got him fired up. No question. When we come back, I want to see how fired up you are. one 408 7669 And also, I'm getting a lot of emails, so go to BrianKillMe.com and tell me what you think. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Tibet belongs to Tibet. I'm here to add my voice and speak out about what is happening in Tibet. Under the Chinese government's brutal rule, Tibetan people's basic rights and freedoms are not existing. And that is Ennis Cantor. Uh, he's an outstanding center forward, uh, now playing with the Boston Celtics, who decided he's of Turkish descent and he's wanted and his family's under house arrest because they don't like him because he's spoken out against Erdogan and the brutal regime uh, that is Turkey. And he has come out and spoken about that. And they basically, if he leaves the country, they're worried he's, he might even get kidnapped and brought back there. So he decided, I've had enough. I'm seeing the torture of the millions of Uyghurs who are making a lot of the sneakers and a lot of the apparel that Americans wear and that American companies buy. And he says it's not OK for the NBA to do business there. It's not OK for Nike to do business there. And he cut that tape in particular. And then he got shoes made uh, by a designer who is wanted by China. He would, he's a wanted man, a former Chinese, uh, a Chinese citizen who's now a Chinese dissident to talk about this horrible regime. And now the NBA does not know what to do. It's easy when you come up against America. They'll spray something on your shirt. They'll put something on the court. But when you come out against China, which is such a cash cow for a league like the NBA, and now they've pulled the Celtic games out of China, who knows if they threaten to pull the NBA games out of China? It's not LeBron James. So far, the superstars have been quiet. He is a very good player, but he's not untouchable. I worry you've got to sideline him. Michael is on WHIO uh, in Dayton. Hey, Michael. Hey, Brian. We're looking forward to you coming back to Dayton with your new book. Yeah, I, I look forward to a date. So far, we're having trouble getting on board until 2022. We're trying to find a venue. But uh, Dayton has always been a staple. It's been a stop we always make. So I hope to work that out. I truly appreciate the loyalty of uh, you, Michael, and your audience. But the President Freedom Fighter comes out next a week from today. And what I want to say to the Democrats is, uh, you know, they've broken so much. Our economy, the situation on the border, uh, foreign policy, uh, the pandemic. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to tell them, you broke it, you bought it. And I hope the Republicans make them pay for it. Well, with an election. But so far, I don't see any willingness to fix it except to run up the debt even more, causing inflation to rise even more while ignoring the border. Michelle, listen on WOKV. I was on Jacksonville this morning. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Brian. Thanks for everything you do, by the way. Thank we you. appreciate you. Uh, appreciate I just wanted to talk about, um, real quick, like the caravan coming, and it was broadcasted that these people coming are threatening us, letting us know that they are coming, yep. and they're going to just force their way through. It doesn't matter. It, I mean, it's kind of like they what they've been doing, but uh, I think it's great that Texas and every one of our states should be able to, you know, fight back and protect our own state line saying that the Biden regime isn't doing it. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, Governor Newsom loves illegal immigration. Uh, the New Mexican people don't love what's happening with illegal immigration. But Arizona, mimic what Texas is doing. Stand up, Governor, if you want another four years. 
New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Coming to you from a very rainy New York. It's going to be raining for 24 hours, I think. I'm not kidding. Uh, and heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, this hour, going to be joined by one of the leaders of the Senate, Senator John Cornyn of Texas. His country, his state is actually being uh, invaded by about 100 other countries. I'm looking at these caravans. We're watching them. We have reporters with them, walking with them. They speak the King's English. And they're coming here, and they're saying because Joe Biden's got a big heart. Well, it's a big, wide-open door, and we're all paying the price. Uh, while he goes to Delaware and puts a security fence around his summer home. Nice. Then we'll do a simulcast with Stuart Varney on, uh, on the FBN. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The state of Texas will step up where the federal government is not securing the border. And so they are pre-positioning resources all along the border there to send the message to those caravans. You will not be allowed into Texas. Texas DPS telling us, unlike the federal government, they will not roll out the red carpet for these caravans. Uh, Bill Malusian uh, reporting from the Texas border. This has to stop. Another illegal uh, immigrant laden caravan barreling towards our overstressed, wide open border. The networks and the administration ignore it. We will not. No other country would allow this. So why are we? Number two. The winner of the Virginia governor's race almost always comes from the party that does not control the White House. You go way back to 77. The (laughs) one exception on this list was in 2013. Barack Obama, Democrat, was president. That's when Terry McAuliffe first got elected governor. Uh, Yeah, that's uh, Steve Kornacki trying to spin already the answer to why is this so close in Virginia, a state that Joe Biden won by 10. The mother of all off-year races in Virginia as the gubernatorial candidates Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin matchup is too close to call with seven days until the voting is complete. Embedded in the contest, CRT. It's real battle, not a trumped-up Obama-defined clash. The latest outrage revealed, and where both candidates stand, coming your way. Number one. We're not anti-vax. We're anti-mandate. No one wants this rammed down their throat. The Biden administration, I understand the president made a statement the other day. Uh, I hope he can walk that back. I hope he doesn't believe that first responders should be fired without the uh, city or the municipality coming to the table and dealing direct with the affected unions. Uh, That is firefighter union president Andrew Ansbro. Yep, Fox News primetime. He joined me last night. The mandate mania. Mandate deadlines have cities on the brink of chaos. An uncompromising administration coupled with an out-of-touch cadre of liberal mayors has teachers, cops, firefighters, medical workers, and so many more about to lose their jobs rather than get the shot. 100% unnecessary confrontation, further dividing a fractured country. Uh, Pretty unbelievable is what we're witnessing right now, too, because what I was meant by embedded within the story in Virginia is CRT. And another story just popped up. This story says that this new curriculum that is going to be rolled out, parents can hear about it, read about it, find out about it, but they have to sign a non-disclosure agreement so they won't talk about it. What are you embarrassed about? You should be bragging about your kid's curriculum, not running from it. 
With me right now is Jason Chaffetz. He doesn't have that problem in Utah, although this program is in Utah, and one of the teachers, when they saw it, quit rather than install it in kids' minds. Congressman, former Congressman Jason Chaffetz, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, first off, in Virginia, it's always close. Ed Gillespie was close. Ken Cuccinelli was close. Is this different? Uh, This is different because, uh, look, Biden won that state by 10 percentage points. Anything that the Republicans do closer than 10 percentage points is bad news. But now that it's neck and neck and Youngkin may very well pull this off, you got to ask, okay, so why? What is it that's swaying that that impressionable middle? You know, Democrats are going to vote Democrats. Republicans are going to vote Republicans. But that it these 10 or 15 percent of the electorate that's right there in the middle they care about freedom. They care about choice, and they don't want to retread in uh, in Terry McAuliffe. I think, I think this is a, a bellwether for what's happening across the country. So this parent, the parents get this in Loudoun County again, are forced to sign an NDA to review this new left wing curriculum. This this so called LSPS Broader Equity Agenda. The district spent seven thousand seven hundred dollars to become a licensed user of the so called Second Step Program, a branch of the left leaning nonprofit organization committee for kids. This, according to a copy of the NDA form reviewed by the Daily Caller, eligible parents at LSPS must sign that document to review this Second Step Program. Uh, these partners with the Southern Poverty Law Center, Racial Equity Tools, and Learning for Justice, all of which have copyrighted material, uh, as if we want to steal it. Uh, so why is this such a double standard? It turns out the second step programs in Utah, Austin, Texas, Lee County, Florida, Denver, Colorado, Lexington, Kentucky, uh, Chicago, Illinois. I, I, you probably know this because you're in Utah. Tule, is that how you say it? Tooele. Tooele, my fault. Uh, so here it is. This is so left wing. This Utah music teacher resigned his position from Draper Middle School after being required to teach second step SEL programs. It gives the public a brief insight into the curriculum. The teacher says his resignation was because it was not in good conscience to present materials that teaches students that their parents are roadblocks to their goals. Material which contains propaganda encourages and encourages students to be activists. Again, Loudoun County. You know, a couple thoughts. One is, you're right. If they are so proud of this and they're trying to teach it to everybody, why not expose it to everybody? Um, I think they're afraid of the content of this. Good for those teachers, the, the one in Draper who's stepping away saying, I'm just not going to do this. To have a parent have to sign a non-disclosure to see what they're going to be teaching their students. I mean, what about the First Amendment in this country? What a what a bad message that the, that this sends. I I'd never heard of anything like this. I And it just shows this wasn't some spontaneous, oh, whoops, we sent a letter that we shouldn't have and we didn't really think it through. This is a very concerted effort, top to bottom, by those on the radical left to overtake the, the, uh, the educational process and indoctrinate the kids with things that they don't want their parents to even know about. Yeah, here's uh, – I think education is real, and this might be a legitimate roadmap – for anybody that wants to win a seat, that means a sober Democrat who says, I can't subscribe to this, and a, and a Republican of any stripe. Ian Pryor has been at the forefront of this, former Department of Justice attorney. 
he was just, he's just a parent, and he was targeted on Facebook, and now he's become an activist to stop this left-wing curriculum. Cut 11. You know, people on, of a certain political persuasion right now, specifically Democrats, are not picking up on what is going on in this country. And what is going on is that parents, grandparents, are concerned for the future of their children. They're concerned for the future of this country that their children are going to have to live in. They, they are f feeling shut out of the educational process, and they feel trapped. You know, they may not be able to afford private school. They might not have time for homeschooling. So they have to hold the public schools accountable, and the public schools are acting like petty political tyrants. And they're getting air support from people like Merrick Garland and Barack Obama and Terry McAuliffe and whoever else just it refuses to listen to those parents. So we'll see, we'll see what happens here. Uh, I want you to hear what Terry McAuliffe really thinks about education. This is what he said on C-SPAN, out of office in 2019, cut nine. About diversity, inclusion, openness, and so forth. We don't. We've got our textbooks. But, you know, there has to be a big part of how, how do you fit in, in into the social work of our nation and our fabric? How is it that we deal with one another is, to me, is as important as, you know, your math class, or your English class, and so forth. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. I mean, I just vehemently disagree. I think it's a huge problem. Would he say that today? Well, he he wouldn't say it uh, right going into an election because it exposes what he truly thinks. I, I, I got to give Terry McAuliffe uh, some kudos because he keeps saying the things out loud that the Democrats aren't supposed to say out loud. And that is what their true agenda is. He wants to get engaged in the social fabric. He wants to manipulate how this socially is working, as opposed to reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, things like STEM and other things that are really important to a kid's education. So there's another race is in single digits, about five points, and that's in New Jersey. I know Barack Obama, you have uh, Stacey Abrams. Now you have the president of the United States all going there. There's panic about them losing it because of what it would mean in the big picture. But once you go there, Jason Chaffetz, you becomes part of your baseball card. I showed up and my guy lost. So that's the risk, isn't it? It, it, it is the risk. But look, I, I don't see people scrambling to get Joe Biden to come to their to their uh, to their district. I, I think Terry McAuliffe said out loud that the hard part, which is Washington, D.C., brings them headwinds. Look, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris can't do it without being on videotape. So she gets rid of her gaffes. And Joe Biden is a terrible communicator. I mean, and Stacey Abrams is not much of a draw there. She isn't much of a draw in Atlanta right now with the World Series about to happen. And she ain't much of a draw up north. I, I don't see why they think that this is going to um, engender them to the, the true middle that's going to make these decisions because their policies are being exposed and they're losing races because of their policies. So right now, the Democrats are negotiating with themselves on what was supposed to be a $3.5 trillion deal that's really cradled to grave social spending and now has been pared down to still include preschool but not include community college, not include tax increases on the corporate rate and the top bracket – not include uh, uh, parent leave uh, for 12 months. Uh, I think they have four weeks instead of 12 weeks. So a lot of this stuff has been cut out, including a lot of the clean energy plans. I know I want to read it. We're going to have experts decipher it. But do you believe Democrats are going to get something? Uh, I, I think they're going to get something at some point. The Nancy Pelosi, you know, I was in Congress for eight plus years. Uh, the Nancy Pelosi, I know, is going to engineer this thing till about the third week, maybe even the fourth week of December when America is not paying as much of attention. They're 
they're uh, engaged with the holidays. I've seen her do it multiple times. That's what's going to happen. They'll push this thing right. Everybody's going to want to go home. It'll be December 23rd. Bring me back on this show because I guarantee you that's right where we're going to be. But it's about people she has no influence of, uh, Senator Cinema and Senator Manchin. Now he says, I'm not for raising those taxes. I'm not for anything over $1.5 trillion, which is a mammoth amount. But Manchin yeah. is open to a billionaire's tax. I'm not a billionaire. I checked my account this morning. I don't know if you are, but do you believe that we should be subscribing to a billionaire's tax as a country? No, I don't. It's a, a wealth confiscation tax. Um, I think it's just fundamentally uh, wrong. Um, it's based on unrealized capital gains. So the key word there is unrealized. So you buy something, it then appreciates in value. You haven't yet sold it, and they want to tax you on that gain. That That's just not right. That's in, Until you sell it, you shouldn't have to pay tax on it. Makes sense. Uh, and we'll see where that goes. Uh, Tillman Fertitta weighed in with me uh, last night. He's number, I think, 144 on the Forbes 100, uh, 400 list. And here's what he said about uh, what it would mean to everybody else about this billionaire's tax. Cut 25. I believe in taxes to make our country great. Absolutely. Uh, I don't think a balance sheet billionaire's tax is the way to do it. If they do, Brian, all it's going to do is make me not build as much because I won't have the ability that creates so many more jobs. And then you're paying so many different taxes. Every employee pays payroll taxes, all your sales taxes, all the taxes they pay. It, it, it's truly a mistake. It's, it's, it's a social... Uh, way of not doing things in this country. It's the European way. Our great capitalism will slowly come to an end. Uh, I agree, too. And, you know, no one told him to take on and form this huge organization. Why should he just give pieces away of it? No, it's it's like the de- how I feel about the death tax. Just because you die in this country doesn't mean the government should come in and take a piece of that. You should be able to pass that on to a future generation. And I think that's part of the... Uh, the uh, uh, the American dream. And for Joe Biden to say, no matter what the level is, it'll fully be paid for. Think about it right now. They don't have any bill and the thing isn't paid for. We're <laughs> going into deficit every single day. So don't tell me that you suddenly are going to pay for it. That, that's just fiction. Well, I just think you're being very cynical today. Uh, so far, everything <laughs> Joe Biden said has really come to fruition. So I don't know where this Seneca in you comes, Jason. It's really worked out well for him. It's early this morning. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Jason Chafe is reluctant to say thank you back. A little bit of a surprise. Uh, Senator John Corn at the bottom of the hour. You're next. 1-866-408-7669. I got a ton of your emails. I'll get to that, too. Uh, The President of the United States on Thursday is going to be going to Glasgow to talk about clean energy. Guess who's not going to be there? China and Russia. And guess who's going with him? 13 staffers. You know exactly where his priorities are. Green energy. He should be down there in the Texas oil fields and saying, come on, people, drill. I can't ask the American people to pay $7 for gas. But no. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There's so much misinformation out there, and people have been told things that just aren't true about the vaccine. 
You have till Friday at five o'clock. Folks who don't get vaccinated, sorry to say they won't get paid. They want to get paid. We need them to be vaccinated. Great, Mr. Mayor. Now go out to smoking pot in some Jeep somewhere like you have been, raising the fence around your a mansion, uh, which you're only going to have, thankfully, for a couple more months. That's his no-nonsense attitude that has thousands of firefighters, support personnel, police, teachers, hospice workers, all looking for other work for various reasons, choosing not to get the shot, even though between 7 and 85% in all those industries have gotten the shot. There is no reason for the zero-sum game, but he does not care. Maybe it's affecting it the same way in Chicago. Maybe it's affecting what you see over in Seattle or all of Washington State. Jeff was going to KQNA in Prescott, Arizona. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Jeff, you're on. Yeah, hey, good morning. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? So so this realized tax gains, um, you know, this administration has proven that uh, they implement something and then it doesn't quite work out. So I pay taxes on my investment today, top of the market. Things are great. But then tomorrow it tanks. Are they going to send me a rebate check? Uh No, you lose. They got an early payday. Isn't that so wrong? This is a slippery slope. And this is a good point. People go, well, you know, there's only 700 billionaires. I don't even know a billionaire. So what's the big deal? Yeah, go tax them. But wait a second. Uh, I need some more money. I think I'm going to go for millionaires. I need some more money. Those horrible people that make $500,000. I think we're going to tax them on unrealized gains. After all, they're building wealth and they're not cashing out on it. We should get some of that money to balance out social safety net programs or to give 1.7 million illegal immigrants the social spending they need to bolster up a school system that's going to make your kid a second-class citizen or go to a school that's going to say, hey, if you happen to be a white kid, apologize for your privilege. Howard, listen, in Ocean Beach, New Jersey. Howard. Yes, uh, good morning, Brian. Uh, Quick question for you first. Uh, Did you happen to see Tim Scott on uh, Life, Liberty, and Levin uh, on Sunday night? Not the whole interview, but why? What what struck you? Well, uh, 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 Tim Scott made the most articulate, understandable, and, you know, quickly uh, able to say exactly what's going on with all the spending plans and all that other stuff. The point of my call really is, and uh, hoping maybe you have some influence, uh, you know, to make this happen. I don't understand why uh, Glenn Youngkin doesn't try to get him to campaign and refute Stacey Abrams and all the crap that the Democrats uh, I agree. And he's him. alone. He's totally alone. Trump is too polarizing. It will not help him with the purple state. And there's no Nikki Haley. You know, there's there's no Senator Scott, Rick Scott, Tim Scott. I think he just wants to be his own guy. It's a risk. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're in the town of Weiwei 16 miles north of Tapachula, where this caravan started. You can see them, some children playing on a swing set. 
but we're seeing a lot of families, a lot of children out here, and we're seeing migrants from many different countries, not just Central America, which was what was the situation in 2019, that Northern Triangle of Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, but we see Haitians in here. We even met one woman from China that we couldn't speak to her because she didn't speak Spanish or English. Every migrant we talked to today said they've got one destination in mind, and that's the United States. Through the Texas border, that is Griff Jenkins doing incredible work along with Bill Malusian. I don't have to tell that to Senator John Cornyn. He has had a long career as judge and a senator now among leadership. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, Senator, but this is as, as bad as anything I have ever seen. What about you? Yeah, I agree, with Brian. And uh, what makes it uh, what makes it the worst I've uh, ever seen is that the Biden administration doesn't seem to care, and uh, they're actively encouraging policies of non-enforcement, which are an additional uh, pull factor. Which uh, the most recent nominee for Customs and Border Protection admitted during his confirmation hearing last week. So not only are they not doing anything, they're actively encouraging people to come by their non-enforcement policies and by the fact they're not imposing any consequences associated with illegally coming to the United States. So are you beyond frustrated? I mean, you see the damage to your the Texas communities, uh, Democrats and Republicans, Henry Cuellar, who goes to the border, I know you're friends with, he could, he's a Democrat, he, he would love to be able to work with this administration, and they don't even want any part of him. So what what could be their approach that, you know, people simply say, well, they they feel as though if they let everybody in, they'll be Democratic voters. Is it that simple? I, I have no other explanation for it beyond that, um, other than that the progressives in their party don't believe in funding the police. They wanted to abolish ICE. We've all heard that before. This is just the l- latest manifestation of, uh, of their uh, of, uh, their bias against law enforcement and against providing some sort of order and, and out of chaos. But I, I think, you know, you asked me uh, what my attitude is. I'm beyond angry. Uh, I'm puzzled. I don't know what else to do because basically I can't get the Biden administration to pay any attention to us. We've uh, we've introduced a bill that we, you and I have talked about before with Henry Cuellar and Kirsten Cinema and Tony Gonzalez, the bipartisan border solutions bill, thinking that as uh, Biden's poll numbers uh, sink, that maybe they will look for some sort of answer, some sort of lifeline on this crisis. But they are not interested at all. Uh, they won't, won't talk to us. And so I'm uh, relying on Governor Abbott and the Texas Department of, of uh, Public Safety and the, uh, and the National Guard to try to do what they can, uh, performing a job that should be performed by the federal government. So here is Bill Malusian yesterday in Stafford, Texas. Here's what he's saying about the DPS opposed to the feds. Cut four. The state of Texas is now preparing for this migrant caravan. Governor Greg Abbott is deploying massive amounts of Texas National Guard resources down to the Del Rio International Bridge area. This is the exact same area where we saw those 15,000 Haitians last month. The idea behind this being the state of Texas will step up where the federal government is not securing the border. They say they will not allow another Del Rio situation to happen, so they are pre-positioning resources all along the border there to send the message to those caravans. You will not be allowed into Texas. Texas DPS telling us, unlike the federal government, they will not roll out the red carpet for these caravans. So 
is that you, your prisons aren't big enough. The cost is great. The government, the federal government will not, you ask for emergency funds, they will not give it to you. I mean, at one point, this thing is going to break. Well, I think, you know, there's no, there's no reason for people not to come. Um, they, they realize that Biden's, going to, Biden's policies are going to let them enter the United States. And the only thing I can think of at this point, Brian, is that the federal government won't step up and do its job. Uh, fortunately, we do have a, a leader in Governor Abbott and uh, law enforcement officials in Texas who are willing to step in the gap. But I think it's going to take, I guess, another election before uh, the Democrats and particularly people like uh, President Biden and their majorities in the House and the Senate to realize that this is very unpopular with the American people and they won't stand for it. And they're going to throw them out of office if they don't uh, change. So you are chairman of the subcommittee on border security and immigration. When uh, is there any Democrat that you can eyeball and say, this is an outrage. There is no country on the planet that would allow this uh, from Poland to certainly Russia uh, to certainly not even Canada would allow this. Why are we? What do they say? Do they look away? Like, I just can't picture going to work with these people. Well, they, they, they don't say anything. They just they don't engage. They don't uh, because I guess they feel like this has not imposed a sufficient political cost on them to change. I think they're intimidated by the same people that, uh, that criticize that uh, Border Patrol uh, officer on a horse uh, trying to stop a Haitian from coming across the border. There was this, uh, this rumor that he somehow was using his reins to whip the Haitian yeah. Uh, which proved not to be true. The administration said they were going to investigate within hours, and uh, Secretary Mayorkas has dropped it, and they're hoping that nobody remembers uh, remembers that. That was what motivated them, and it proved to be false. Uh, they have no sympathy for the Border Patrol agents who are working and putting themselves in harm's way, or the 90,000-plus uh, Americans who have uh, overdosed and died last year from drugs coming across the same border. They show no compassion, no care for the families who are devastated by these drugs that are coming across uh, by the uh, same transnational criminal organizations that smuggle people and smuggle drugs. So all you could hope for is the poll numbers go down so far they have to do something because you're in the minority in the Senate and the House? Well, we keep trying to raise the visibility of this, and thanks to people like you and others who continue to make sure that this is front and center for the American people. They don't like it, uh, and, I, and for good reason. And uh, in the end, uh, you can only do so much until the voters decide to throw the rascals out, which is, I think, uh, our, our last uh, line of defense. So when you look at the landscape for the 2022 what changes if you win the House? What changes if you win the Senate, too? Um, you're talking about in terms of the membership or the numbers? or and In terms of policies. what power do you have? What, how could policies change if you're actually in the majority? Uh, well, one, one, one thing we learned years ago back when uh, George W. Bush was president, uh, Michael Chertoff was Secretary of Homeland Security. We had this huge number of Brazilians all of a sudden show up at our border, and people wondered, where did they come from? How did they get here? And basically what we found out is the policy of catch and release 
is an incentive for people to continue to come. And until we stop that policy of catch and release, uh, we are not going to be able to disincentivize people from making this long and dangerous trip. Because right now they know that they are going to be released, they will not be detained, and they'll be told to show up for a future court hearing, and lo and behold, uh, less than half of them yeah. show up. So they, this, is a, this is an incentive, a pull factor uh, for future illegal immigration. And so that's something we could fix uh, if, uh, if the uh, election turns out well in 2022. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if that, how that goes. The other big issue with what's happening in our schools, I don't know how concerned you are personally, but I think in Virginia it's become a top issue. And I think one of the first times I remember hearing President Obama, even if you don't agree, he usually gets the pulse of what a hot issue is. To me, this is a swing and a miss. Cut 10. Here we are trying to recover from a global pandemic that has killed more than 700,000 Americans, put millions in harm's way. We don't have time to waste on phony culture wars or fake outrage that the right-wing media are peddling just to juice up your ratings. We should be building on the progress we've made, not tearing it down. That's not what this election's all about. That's, what, that's not what you need, Jersey. So instead of forcing schools to cut back, we should be doing more to support the people who are educating our kids. He thinks that this is a culture war when you see some of the curriculum that's going out there and you see these parents at these school board meetings. Is it a culture war? Well, the... President Obama and, uh, and uh, Terry McAuliffe and others on that side uh, are playing with fire. I don't know of anything that people get more uh, exercised about or feel more strongly about than their kids and their schools. And when we see what's happening in schools and the curriculum that they're being taught, people are right to be outraged, and parents have every right to be involved in their in their children's education. So I just think this is another manifestation, Brian, of the left thinking they know better than they than we do what's good for us and what's good for our children. And they're going to try to intimidate us and others from speaking up. But God bless the parents who will show up and push back and who will not allow them to uh, intimidate them and, and uh, somehow keep them from being involved in their children's education. Uh, Senator John Cornyn, thanks so much. I'll talk to you uh, soon, I hope. Barney and Company next. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Always look forward to joining F- uh, FBN, especially Stuart Varney, the number one radio show on that uh, time slot, manage- manages to make uh, everybody see- feel like they can understand what's going on uh, financially. We're going to be talking about with Stuart, and they'll be taking your calls right after I see you all up there. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We're going to be talking about what's happening with uh, Enos Cantor. And kill and me with New York City. All right, Brian. Yeah. New York City could lose, could lose what sixteen thousand police officers or NYPD employees this Friday when the vaccine mandate takes effect. Can the city afford to lose any police officers right now? 
No, but do they care? Don't seem to care. I mean, what happened with the teachers? How many teachers are actually out? We don't even know that number. How about medical workers? We don't even know that number. Uh, what about the now firefighters in New York and, and, uh, and police officers? We saw yesterday as they assembled in New York City and kind of blocked the Brooklyn Bridge as they crossed it about 1145 as your show was wrapping up yesterday. You saw those numbers. A lot of those people are vaccinated. They are against the mandates. And this yes. is a totally self-inflicted wound. Yes. Almost 70 to 85 percent are vaccinated. They're going for 100 percent. That is disrespectful. It is not practical. Has anyone thought about what happens if they don't succeed? This is the pain of the vaccine mandate. A certain proportion of your workers, many of whom are absolutely vital to your operation, will leave. And you cannot replace them in a labor shortage. The problem with these mandates is there's no off-ramp. There's no sort of saying, OK, we made a mistake, we've gone too far, we're backing off. You can't say that. They might have to. I mean, they have to. I mean, if you're going to already take a, a police force that is already men down, we're already numbers down. Same thing in Chicago, already numbers down. In Seattle, numbers way down. They have a whole bunch just quit and said, I'm not getting the vaccine. You know, it was interesting last night. I had the firefighters president, uh, union president on. And he says, yeah, I'm vaccinated. 70% of my guys are more likely vaccinated. And no one cared about our health when the pandemic was happening. No one was saying, what about your tests? This is the protocol if you test positive. No, it was keep going, keep going, keep going. You feel bad, stay home, get back as soon as you can. Because we were essential workers. Now you care about our health so much, you're going to mandate that we take care of ourselves up yeah. to the, uh, uh, how you think we should. And now that instead of just flooding the area and give people no an option of tests or antibody tests for natural immunity. I want to bring up the subject of the Boston uh, Celtics player, he censured Ennis Kantner. He's fought at these free China game shoes Sunday night, and he tweeted out photos of the shoes. He says, Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party, someone has to teach you a lesson. I will never apologize for telling the truth. You can't buy me. You can't scare me. You can't silence me. Hit it. OK, Brian. Ennis Kantner seems to me to have the courage which the NBA lacks entirely with China. And they're befuddled. Brad Stevens made a positive statement. I will support he's the president of the Celtics. Uh, I support my players uh, in their activism. But the league has gone radio silent. They don't know how to handle it. Because how can you spray Black Lives Matter on the court and say that Chinese Muslim lives don't matter or Tibetans' lives don't matter and it's okay to torture people and harvest their organs? They don't matter. And wear the sneakers that they make. That doesn't matter. That isn't okay. So if the league is saying, well, that's my cash cow. We need that international broadcast. I need them to buy my jerseys and, uh, and, and, and pay for the broadcast rights. At the same time, you know in your heart he's 100% right. And who yes. is Enos Cantor? A very good center forward who has played on multiple teams because he's a positive force. But yet he is from Turkey, critical of Erdogan, the president. And because of that, they basically put his family on house arrest. And they said if he comes, they'll either kill him or jail him. So he's not allowed to go. He's not even secure leaving the country. But instead of knuckling under, he spread it out and said, that's right, I'm calling out China. And remember, it was a general manager in Houston that retweeted Free Hong Kong or something to right, that suffice right. that got, uh, got China to say we're no longer airing NBA games in that country and basically got the NBA to apologize. Where's yeah. LeBron James? He's calling on LeBron James and Nike to speak yes, out against slave labor. Wow. Brian, I got, I'm shaking my head because I, I don't know how you do it. 
You do a three-hour show on TV with Fox and Friends. You do a three-hour uh, show on the radio. Tonight, you're going to do another hour at 7 o'clock Eastern on Fox News primetime. How do you do it? I know you're a young guy with plenty of energy, but I take my hat off to you, Brian. Well, thanks. I'm... You have, uh, it Basically, this is a big gym. Any way we can help out, you feel the same way as me. you got your show on Monday night. You want to help out any way you can. You feel uh, honored to be asked. So they need I'm me at true. 7. I'll do it. And I just will give up hobbies. I can't play tag in the park. I can't pick up softball or basketball games. Um, I can't kick the ball around. Don't uh, play the victim with me, Brian. You're no, I just gave up hobbies. It's, everybody it's family and okay. work. That's it. Okay, okay, you got it. Okay, Brian, we'll see you next week, okay? And Go probably get him tonight too. as well. Right. Have you told everyone you're wearing jeans? Uh, no, but uh, I think they realize. All okay. right. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. <laughs> Still ahead. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Larry, listen, WMNC will be in a couple of weeks in Indiana. Hey, Larry. Hey, Brian. Hey, uh, thanks for taking the call. Um, I think Rick Scott had a great. Uh, he had a great three points he made, and uh, I think they should run a huge ad campaign in all the blue states, you know, and just basically ask, you know, do you want the government running your life? Do you want your children? Um, being you know, taught to hate their country, and uh, do you just want to pay taxes all the time? You know, keep going up and up and up till the, you know there, you have no um, disposable income left, and just just flood the blue states with uh, with those ad campaigns. Yeah, I I, I think that would I would definitely work. I, I think that uh, politicians have been getting elected by saying you're getting screwed. I'm here to help you. I love politicians to go back to trying to win over. We all got to work harder. We got to pull together. You got to put it in. And where the chips fall where they may, there's honor in work. There's glory in work. And that's where you're going to be successful, not by the government giving you money. I'd love to see a man or woman get elected with that. That would save the country as opposed to here's some money. Please vote for me because that way's not working. Hey, go to BrianKilley.com. Pre-order the president and freedom fighter because uh, it comes out one week from today. Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We're going to have a big hour come anyway. Congressman Michael McCall, he, like many of us, are outraged about what's happening on our southern border. It's not so much bad strategy. It's no strategy. It's get out of the way, defang ICE, don't build the wall, and let everybody come in. Let's uh, distribute 600,000 people around the country. Let 1.7 million come through our borders. And don't complain, or we'll ignore it. That we are not ignoring. We've got two great reporters there, Griff Jenkins as well as Bill Malusian, and we'll tell you the latest of what's happening. We're also uh, talk to Michael McCall uh, about the spending bill that is working its way through Democratic circles. Uh, we're all just bystanders. Uh, with me right now is somebody that wrote on a topic that every single home listening to me right now uh, has something they can relate to about it. His name is uh, Greg Zuckerman. He's not uh, new to our show. Uh, Greg's got a brand new book 
out. And I think the first time, Greg, you came on, it was about the Wildcatters, uh, the Frackers. Yes. Right? And yes. what they did to, and we, that's still uh, an apt topic. Your brand new book out today is called A Shot to Save the World The Inside Story of the Life or Death Race for a COVID 19 Vaccine. You do not take on easy topics, but you take <laughs> on very important topics. I try to explain how big things happened uh, for, you know, the average reader, because I'm sort of an average guy. And there's often a lot of drama that people aren't aware of and also uh, innovation and entrepreneurship. And I think we need to appreciate it. 2019 happens. We don't even know how China gave us this virus. We don't know. We thought we have some strange animal bat theory. And we got the more likely theory now, the Wuhan lab theory. But all we know is Americans are getting it. Uh, There's asymptomatic spread. There's person-to-person spread. We don't even know exactly what we're dealing with, but we know we got to stop it. Where does your book pick up? Yeah, so I tell the drama of the past year, but I first start decades earlier. Why do I do that? Because the approaches that we have depended on for these vaccines, the mRNA, this adenovirus one that led to the J&J and some other ones. These approaches actually, they started years earlier, all in America. We're talking about innovators, researchers, scientists in labs, just slogging away, trying to push it forward, meeting frustrations. And I want to shed light on how it was a long process. So some of us are nervous and, and for good reason. Well, all of a sudden we've got these vaccines and we, we, the average vaccine until this year Ten years it takes, the average vaccine. The fastest one ever was measles, and that was four years. And here you are coming and telling me that these vaccines I'm going to be taking over, and they were done within 300 days. 300 days, Brian. And part of the reason why I wrote this book is to explain that we'll actually know the research, the the amazing American usually, but not always, um, technology that went into this stuff. It took years, literally decades, to get it right. Right. So first off, how long did it take for them to realize what they were dealing with? So some of the scientists I write about and the executives in, in, in the companies like Stefan Bensel at Moderna and Ugar Sahin at BioNTech, in January, they were starting to get scared. And there's an executive I write about, actually, a senior guy at Moderna. January uh, of 2020. January of 2020. He started telling his family, buy stuff. um, toilet paper, tissues. He bought a third refrigerator to stock up his house and food. And his family thought he was crazy. We're talking about the middle of January when you and I, I was flying. I remember flying in Europe in the middle of January and I wasn't wearing a mask. No one was kind of concerned. But these guys were. So I give them a lot of credit. They were were worried about this, this, this both of pandemic, but also just about the spread and where it might go. So to their credit, they said, we have to do something about it. Understood. So we have to do something about it. Why not go for a therapeutic to treat it? Yeah, it's a good question. Some companies did try. Uh, largely unsuccessful. There's hopes now that maybe we'll have a pill. But historically, vaccines are how we stop pandemics and how we stop plagues. Um, things like polio, um, going back in history and even more recently, vaccines are usually the thing, the, the holy grail, um, because you get a shot and you're protected. And vaccines, what's really fascinating to me is until 2020, the big companies really didn't want to be in vaccines. There wasn't that much money in vaccines. You know, you take a shot every once in a while. It's not like a statin every day. Who wants to be in it? So what I found fascinating is the big giants, Merck, GSK, Sanofi, they're the vaccine giants. They didn't go after a COVID vaccine. or They, they did half-heartedly. They weren't successful. Instead, it was these unknown companies, Moderna, BioNTech, those kinds of scientists. Why do you think they did? Uh, partly because they're entrepreneurial. It takes sort of... Uh, 
innovators, people that ignore the experts. I mean, if you remember back in early 2020, a lot of the experts said, oh, yeah, it's going to take years to, to develop a vaccine. Don't waste your time. Don't believe in mRNA. It hasn't been proven before. And I give these guys a lot of credit, the scientists within these companies, and they believed in their work, and, and they had this resilience and an ability to ignore the experts. How many companies were actually contracted by uh, the, America, the U.S. government to go to work on this vaccine? So Operation Warp Speed chose six companies to give funding to, two um, from three different vaccine approaches. mRNA is one, the adenovirus one is, is another approach, and there's the protein subunit approach. So there are three approaches, and what they did was it was a little bit like an investment portfolio. Operation Warp Speed said, we're going to have a portfolio here, and we're going to assume that some will work, some won't work. We're going to get some home run in this portfolio. They got more than one home run, and you got to give a Warp Speed tremendous amount of of credit, both for the financing, but other kind of help they gave the companies as well. And I don't think it's appreciated how much um, the, the government worked with these companies to to develop these vaccines. Like we've never possibly seen before. Greg Zuckerman here. His book is out today. If you have not heard of how this happened, no one has. He does original reporting like nobody else I've ever seen. He was able to unwind it for the everyman. He, even though Greg sounds like a scientist, he's not. No. He got a PhD to help him out <laughs> and explain this whole thing to him. Uh, and the, the name of the book is called A Shot to Save the World. Who came up with the idea for Operation Warp Speed or the concept? So um, it's not clear. It was brought to well, Donald who, Trump. Who was part of it? Uh, Mansel Slawi is was the head of it. Mansel Slawi is an interesting guy. He was on the board of Moderna, but he was always a little bit skeptical of Moderna and mRNA for years. But he's a super smart guy, and Donald Trump got got behind it. The administration got behind it. It was a brilliant idea because never in history have we done things at the same time. Meaning, manufacture a vaccine, test the vaccine, do all the steps necessary. Usually, you wait, and it takes years. Literally, it takes years. First, you test it. First, you develop it. Then, you test it. And then you manufacture it. And the idea was, let's do it all at the same time. So we're losing tens of thousands of people. We don't have that type of time. So we got to go do it. So uh, there's a race to do it. So how did the government set up private industry to be successful, to do their thing, to free them up, to to take chances? So part of it was with plain old cash. And uh, it was money that some of these companies took, not all of them, but some of them took to develop, to, to do trials, to develop their vaccines. But it was also money that they paid to buy the vaccines ahead of time. I mean, can you imagine the risk that was taken and the criticism that might have resulted had these vaccines not worked out, they had not been not been effective. We as a government stepped up. We paid. We wrote big checks to these companies saying, we think you're going to get it right. We think you're going to produce these vaccines and we're going to write a check right now. And they needed that money. They, they, were, they were desperate. Some of these companies I write about were desperate for financing and as, as recently as May 2020. So you explained this to me and hopefully this question will come out right. You said for the first time they were able, able to test in real time. It wasn't like, hey, try this. You were able to test in real time. How? So I would argue that the testing um, was traditional in that there were tens of thousands of people that uh, under, underwent the trials, volunteers and such. They recruited them. They just went at a faster pace, but not compromising safety. And I was looking for that. And I was careful about that. And everyone I've talked to was saying to me, Greg, um, we were aware and we were scared like anybody else. And we knew that if we produce a vaccine that had an had a awful side effect – not only would it blow it for us, you know, our company and our, and our uh, effort, it would blow it for everyone. So we were really very careful. So to their credit, the FDA moved quicker. 
um, than usual, but not in terms of compromising safety, just in terms of getting rid of the bureaucracy. So when did they start seeing success? So some of these companies like Moderna had early signs. We're talking even January and February of 2020 in things they were testing in monkeys and in in mammals. Um, So they internally were pretty optimistic, but they couldn't um, say it. No, right. They couldn't say it. They weren't sure. There weren't a lot of these mammals either. So they had hints. They had early hints. When you and I were starting to get nervous about this uh, pandemic, when I was locking down in my basement in New Jersey, um, these companies were starting to get optimistic. But the the real question was, would they have the resources? And in Moderna, yes, they turned to the government, but they also turned to Wall Street. I mean, Wall Street gets all this criticism. Big Pharma gets all this criticism. We've got to give them a lot of credit. Wall Street stepped up at a time. In May 2020, the Gates Foundation didn't give Moderna money. Um, Merck didn't want to work with Moderna. A lot of people didn't want to have anything to do with Moderna. They were unheard of, unknown. They were approached. No one really trusted. And and Wall Street did step up. And we have to give them a lot of credit. They gave over a billion dollars, put them in in the pocket. They bought shares. And Moderna said, go, go, go. Let's go build this vaccine. Where did the Gates Foundation put their money then? Oh, they made other kind of bets. And they did good work. I don't want to uh, dismiss the work they did. But they didn't go for this. Yeah. They they had resources tied up elsewhere. Um, So so describe for everyone – uh, you know, if I want the flu vaccine, they shoot the flu into you and they hope they got the right flu. Right. But mRNA is different. And this could be very important for someone listening right now who is very queasy about getting a shot because they don't know what they're shooting into the system. What should they know? That's exactly right. So it's important to know that traditionally not not these vaccines, but traditionally vaccines shots included, as you say, either a killed version of the virus itself, a watered-down version of it, attenuated, it's called. So you have some version of the vaccine, and it's true of all traditional uh, vaccines, um, polio, et cetera. And historically, there was some percentage of people who unfortunately got the disease that they were trying to protect. And the whole idea of vaccines is to educate, to teach the immune system. And so historically, you say, all right, I'm going to put in the vaccine a piece of the virus and the immune system is going to have an experience, it's going to have an education, and it's going to know when it sees it for the real time, ah, we know how to fight it off. With these vaccines, they're very different. So mRNA basically is a message. It's called, uh, M, the M is for a messenger. And we all have mRNA in us. It's how our proteins that, that we depend on are created. Basically, the um, um, DNA doesn't go into the cell, it goes DNA to mRNA to uh, creates protein. That's sort of the basics of biology. And People, scientists, entrepreneurs, um, venture capitalists always said, well, okay, if mRNA is so important and mRNA can create naturally, we're talking about naturally creates proteins in the body. What if we could create these mRNAs, these molecules in the lab? And it was always like this holy grail. Well, yeah, of course, if we could figure it out, we could create, we could make the body into its own manufacture, its own um, vaccine or even drug manufacture in our own body. So it was always like the hope. And the skeptics always said, nah, there's no way you can get mRNA all the way into the cell because it's chopped up so quickly. That's the the, the fascinating thing about mRNA. Some people are worried that it's going to affect their DNA and it's going to be in our – no, it gets chopped up almost instantly. And that's why people never wanted to work with mRNA. So it took years and years of entrepreneurship and and innovation and stubbornness on the part of researchers that I write about in my book to finally figure out a way to create mRNA in the lab. It's called recombinant mRNA, put it in a vaccine and get it all the way into our body. And, And then it does get chopped up really quickly by the enzymes, but it lasts long enough to 
teach our body to create a protein. In this case, it's the spike protein. Create a protein that teaches the body's immune system. Ah, next time I see that spike protein, I'm going to go fight it off. So we have Moderna and Pfizer working for with mRNA. What's Johnson & Johnson doing? So Johnson & Johnson and uh, this group in England, Oxford University, along with uh, AstraZeneca, they use a virus. And they say, okay, we're going to put the gene for, in the, this case, the spike protein, onto a virus, put it in a vaccine, and that virus is going to carry this genetic information, these genetic instructions, into the body's cell. And you say to yourself, well, wait, why do I want to put a virus into my body? And the answer is, this virus is not harmful. They've taken out the ingredients such that it doesn't spread. It just gets, and, and viruses are really good at getting into the cells, and then it disappears. So that's their approach. It's um, effective. It's not quite as effective as mRNA, but it's effective. And um, I would take the J&J um, in a heartbeat. So um, that's another approach I write about in, in my book, and it's another one that took years and years to get right. All right, when we come back, uh, with the moment where it reaches market, when they when did they know it was going to be successful, and what was the feeling uh, around the country, and what is it like now? If anyone can make heads or tails of it or offer a great um, uh, hypothesis, it's Greg Zuckerman. His book is now out as of today. It's called um, – uh, it's called – it's right here. Greg Zuckerman, A Shot to Save the World, the inside story of the life or death race for a COVID-19 vaccine. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're here to discuss a monumental national achievement. From the instant the coronavirus invaded our shores, we raced into action to develop a safe and effective vaccine at breakneck speed. It would normally take five years, six years, seven years, or even more. In order to achieve this goal, we harnessed the full power of government, the genius of American scientists, and the might of American industry to save millions and millions of lives all over the world. We're just days away from authorization from the FDA, and we're pushing them hard, at which point we will immediately begin mass distribution. Before Operation Warp Speed, the typical time frame for development and approval, as you know, uh, could be infinity. And we were very, very happy that uh, we were able to get things done at a level that nobody has ever seen before. And he's not over-exaggerating for one point, really. President Trump making the announcement in December of 2020, they got a vaccine. They got two of them. They would eventually have three of them and might be another one coming. That is not news to Greg Zuckerman. Along the way, taking a bet on the vaccine and taking a bet that it would be a good story. Greg, that's what you, you were betting that they were going to get a vaccine. So you were learning about the technology behind it, the science behind it, the biology behind it. And that moment in December, what were you thinking? Oh, I was happy for the world, happy for myself and my family, happy for my loved ones. Um, my uncle passed away of COVID. Um, I know people with long COVID. Um, you know, we've all gone through a really difficult period, and I think we're too close to it to, to, to appreciate that these vaccines, and I know to some people they're controversial, but to me they're just an American invention and American a reflection of American exceptionalism and, and genius. And we don't give enough credit to, to Operation Warp Speed, to the scientists, to the, the financiers, the American financiers behind it. It's a real American success story. 
So you said the Pfizer and Moderna, the heads are foreign-born, but they said they had to do it in America. Why? Yeah, I spoke to both of them. Uh, Stefan Bensel, he's from Marseille in France, uh, thick accent, uh, Uger Sahin, uh, born in Turkey, and he lives in Germany right now, and his company is Germany, and yet they both told me that these vaccines, the Moderna ones and the Pfizer-BioNTech ones, could not have been produced without America, without American investors. You know, we forget we've got um, the, the ecosystem here, capitalism in this country will step up and take risk that you can't get anywhere else. You could not do this in Europe. There's no money for these kinds of companies with no earnings, with only a hope of developing something down the road years in advance. And frankly, there's American venture capital, there's American investors, American stock market. And, and these companies, these executives all told me, Greg, we could not have done this without America. And we could not have done this without the help of these investors and, and, and the scientists from America. Are you surprised we quickly got about 50, 60 percent up. We seem to be stuck around 70 percent of the country getting two shots and getting ready to go. Are you surprised at some skepticism? And what would you say to skeptics listening right now? So I would say, and I, and I try to emphasize this. We're not doctors, but you 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 might as well be after this book you just wrote. Yeah, I, I'm no doctor whatsoever, but um, I talk to um, scientists and I talk to people that are not political. I really try to emphasize people that are just experienced. And the experience, the time, the years that went into these vaccines needs to be appreciated. And the, and the, the remarkable effectiveness also a, needs to be appreciated. A shot to save the world. Greg Zuckerman has done it again. Pick it up. It's real-time history. Good job, Greg. Thank you, Brian. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The state of Texas is now preparing for this migrant caravan. Governor Greg Abbott is deploying massive amounts of Texas National Guard resources down to the Del Rio International Bridge area. This is the exact same area where we saw those 15,000 Haitians last month. The idea behind this being the state of Texas will step up where the federal government is not securing the border. They say they will not allow another Del Rio situation to happen. So they are pre-positioning resources all along the border there to send the message to those caravans. You will not be allowed into Texas. Texas DPS telling us, unlike the federal government, they will not roll out the red carpet for these caravans. Uh, you know, that is uh, Bill Malusian on the border talking about what's happening. Every other network and this administration ignoring it, not Congressman Michael McCall. And we'll talk about Afghanistan, another area of your expertise and responsibilities. But I don't want to talk about Texas, where they've licensed you to represent them as ranking member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Congressman, what's your reaction to what is still coming your way in Texas? Well, it's uh, disgraceful, and it's the federal government abdicating its responsibility to protect the border. We've been seeing this play out throughout the entire Biden administration when they rescinded the MPP, the protocols, remain in Mexico. Uh, and now, you know, we have what's called the mother of all car- caravans uh, busting through the uh, Mexican guard at, at their border, now making its way up to our southern border. And, you know, uh, we're, we're just one state, but we're going to fight back. And, and I've talked to Governor Abbott. He's asking me, as a former chairman of Homeland Security, what more can I do? And it's, it's, we got to send every resource we have down there and not let them cross in. But you're not in the majority. It, the Democrats don't want to hear it outside Henry Cuellar. So, right. so are you just have to sit there and, and try to stop them? And, 
and then you got to incarcerate tens of thousands of illegals? Well, it's it's it is insanity, you know, at the border, and this is why we kept pressing the administration to to bring back the migrant protection protocols. Fortunately, the courts did it, uh, and now they're trying to work with Mexico. The problem is Mexico. Uh, they didn't want to do this in the first place, Brian. The only reason Mexico agreed to do this under the Trump administration is because President Trump threatened them with 5% tariffs on all goods coming in. Guess what? That got their attention. Guess what? They signed the agreement. Now Biden is perceived as so weak, uh, there's hardly any leverage uh, to make that happen. So so besides asking the state to do things they're not supposed to, in Arizona in particular and Texas— you have to sit there and just wait for an election? I mean, is there any sense that this administration knows they're paying a political price for this to enact, let alone doing the right thing? Well, I do think uh, elections do have consequences, and this will be a major issue in the 2022 and 2024 you know, elections. You've got so many fentanyls coming in that could kill the American population seven times over. Uh, you know, this, this is out of control. And, you know, in their recent reconciliation package— they grant amnesty for 10 million illegal migrants. I personally think, Brian, this is part of their long-term strategies to get as many illegals in the country that will then become uh, you know, legalized, and then they'll vote uh, for them, for the Democratic Party. Uh, this is not the party that the Democrats used to stand up for the working man, the blue-collar guy. It's completely, completely gone so far to the left, and now it's just completely no, no law and order. Uh, you know, it's interesting. It's down on the border, counties— uh, when I talked to Henry Cuellar or I talked to some of our candidates running, uh, the, borders, the border counties are going Republican now because they want security. They don't like socialism. They like energy. They, they don't like this Green New Deal nonsense. And they, uh, you know, they like law and order down there, and they don't see any of that right now. Um, this is how Texas will win back you know, when Hispanics and the country – uh, I think long term will put us in, in a better position. So the United Nations spoke out to Texas. They told you uh, to curb the reliance on oil and gas, basically stop drilling. Really? Isn't that nice? What's your reaction to that? So, yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Thank you, U.N., for your great advice. You know, as this president allows Putin to finish his pipeline into Europe, waiving our sanctions that we mandated, and he's saying it's in our national interest. I don't understand how that's in our national interest. Uh, shutting down the Keystone Pipeline, uh, not allowing permits on energy. Now we have the U.N. telling us, and now we got to be relying on OPEC again. It's just complete insanity. And now we have to rely on OPEC, and now the president's blaming OPEC for not producing enough energy. While we were doing it far in a far more clean uh, manner, my state being one of the top exporters uh, you know, in the nation. Uh, uh, this, is, uh, this is another issue that is going to blow back, you know, I think, in a, in a big way. You know, where we're favoring you know, foreign governments producing energy over our country. We were be- becoming energy independent, and that was the national security issue for us. And this administration's turned it upside down. So in Afghanistan, we're trying to get our people out, and there are hundreds are still there. They told us about 100. That was a flat-out lie, Congressman McCall. I don't know how hands-on you're able to get. Here's what Lindsey Graham uh, told me last night about what he's seeing, what he's finding out about how many people we actually left behind in Afghanistan. Cut 30. Thirty. 
Joe Biden's the most incompetent president in my lifetime. Uh, he had a plan that did not work. He turned down sound military advice. They don't know if there's 350 Americans left behind or 700. We do know there are thousands of Afghans who fought along our side that have been left behind. And now they're considered one of the most uh, impoverished nations on the planet. Their funds are frozen. There's terror activity blowing up Taliban assets, and there's no food. So our people are starving to death. Their people are starving to death. What is our responsibility, Congressman McCall? Well, we had a we had a responsibility to our American citizens that we left behind. We had a responsibility to the uh, interpreters and those who worked with our special forces. We promised them we would take care of them. And you know what, Brian? I think about 85% of them were left behind. Now in the hands of the Taliban, uh, they are being hunted down and executed uh, as I speak. Um, and, you know, we get, we're still trying to find American citizens. Yeah, I, I got pictures of, of uh, American citizens with their blue passports, and they're saying, please help me get out. You know, me and, and the Foreign Affairs Committee have been the clearinghouse trying to get these Americans out, left behind enemy lines, and now we're at the mercy of the Taliban. This has been, I agree with Lindsay, one of the most catastrophic foreign policy events I've probably seen in my lifetime. There's no plan for this and a complete takeover by the Taliban. Our intelligence community warned us about this. You know, now you've got the guy that harbored bin Laden, the top president. You got the Haqqani, the Haqqani network, uh, top terror and the FBI most wanted list and the Taliban five. You know, welcome to the Afghan cabinet. This is their governance. It's going to be led by terrorists. And you know what? We're talking about the wide open border and you talk about a terror safe haven again. That is a bad prescription. And now they have a huge cadre going over to, to Glasgow for this climate summit. They, that's where their focus is. They said they want to restore American prestige. Did they forget about Afghanistan? Is there anything about restoring our prestige here? This is what the former Secretary of State said, who's, by the way, having trouble getting the current State Department to pay attention to return his calls. Cut 32. This is worse than just incompetence. This is an absence of caring about uh, Americans and those who have a right to come to the United States of America. Uh, we've completely abandoned them. The president won't even talk about these things. We, we are not serious. We, we, on our State Department Twitter feed today, we're talking about uh, intersectionality and pronouns when we've got Americans behind enemy lines in Afghanistan. I mean, is there any responsibility that some Democrats feel for this? Yeah, I think the Democrats, you know, behind the scenes, but, you know, the face of the Democratic Party is they abandoned and betrayed those we left behind. And, you know, they want to leave this behind, right? They want to leave this issue behind because it's a loser and they know it. And so is the border. Uh, they don't want to talk about it. And, you know, Fox News is like the only station talking about that issue. And now, you know, their, their big holy grail is this uh, climate change uh, deal where, uh, you know, China, the largest polluter in the world, uh, you know, they don't have to comply for maybe 10, 20 years. Uh, that, it just really doesn't... Uh, making sense. We can find some, some you know, key you know, areas where we can reduce emissions with technology, for instance, but uh, they, they put that as the highest priority and everything else in a backseat. And, uh, you know, I tell you, one of the worst things I think they've done, too, is this 85,000, you know, IRS agents that uh, is going to, like, form a surveillance agency within the IRS of any transaction over $600. Um, my God, that, that issue alone, that's getting people really worked up. Uh, that's no kidding. And even if they raise it to 1200 but they're going to get all this money to 
basically weaponize the IRS. When is that ever good news for the American people? Because they want to squeeze. They think it's just going to be rich people. Uh, rich people just call up their accountant and they'll shield it. But the average person does not have extra money to go get an accountant because they're being audited because he added all this money to the IRS. Uh, and most of this stuff is unknowing if they did uh, miss a payment or 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 uh, or miss total or something. So I'm I'm wondering. Evidently, Joe Manchin pushed back on that today at the Economic Council. So he's pushed back from 3.5 to evidently he's not budging from 1.5. What do you think we're going to be looking at with this spending palooza? Well, I think Manchin and Senator are probably the most powerful, you know, senators, you know, obviously right now, and, and they have brought the numbers down. I really hope the whole thing implodes. I think the progressives are upset with this now. Uh, the moderates, uh, they're at war with each other. The Democrats are a divided camp. They can't, they can't get the votes. Uh, they can't get it this week. They're going to try to get it next week. Um, and, you know, we'll see. But whatever happens, massive spending and tax increases is the last thing a pandemic economy needs right now. We're already in a 13-year high inflationary period, uh, which is a tax on everybody. Um, and the labor force has, has gone down dramatically. And yet in the, the price of goods at the store are going way up. Um, you know, I, I'd say I agree with Lizzie, Lindsay. This is a, I remember the Carter years, energy prices going up, inflation, an embassy taken by terrorists, very reminiscent of what we're seeing today. But in some ways, it's even worse. And uh, you know, I always say, you know, this, uh, this guy doesn't have the Midas touch. It's the Biden touch. And everything he touches turns to, you know what? As uh, lastly, Tillman Fertitta joined me. As you know, he's a Texas resident. He's one of the richest people in the country, hardest working. He owns uh, so many restaurants and casinos, uh, and he owns the Houston Rockets. So I asked him, you know, what is it like out there? He's the CEO of Landry's. Here's what he said about what he's dealing with now in restaurants and casinos. Cut 24. We have 4,000 openings right now. Wow. Uh, between the Golden Nugget casinos, all the restaurants, and all the entertainment venues. And uh, people just don't want to work anymore. So uh, I don't know what happened to that part of capitalism. And I, what's crazy, though, is our high-end businesses are the most successful. So people are getting money from somewhere. But uh, it's, it's just a tough time between the labor shortage and the supply shortage. Congressman McCall, you're hearing that maybe on a smaller scale, but 4,000 openings. Yeah. Well, it, it's a, it's a, it's a workforce crisis. And what happened, we paid them to stay home, um, and they did. They stayed home, and now they want the same benefits going back. And, they're, you know, I was at the Formula One races in Austin last uh, weekend, and they were paying uh, 35, minimum wage, $35 an hour, just to get people to, you know, uh, to do minimal tasks. And, uh, you know, I know, uh, I know Mr. Fertitta, I've been to his, I was at his hotel about a couple of weeks ago and, um, you know, it, it did look very crowded to me and it, it, the restaurant hotel industry, but they can't find the workers either. Um, you know, I, I can't, like I said, everything this guy touches, it, it just turns into coal for Christmas. We're coming up on the holidays and, uh, you know, are people going to buy it like they used to, you know, we'll see. I think we're all going to get pictures of the barges our gifts are stuck on. Uh, that's what's going to be you our know, Christmas that's another. Presents. I mean, my God, you know, everywhere you turn, right? <laughs> can, it, can it get any worse, right? So you got 50 ships off the coast of, you know, waiting to get in the L.A. port, and they're off the East Coast as well. They can't even get into the port because we don't have any workers there. 
at the ports, and we don't have the truckers to take the goods in. All right, Congressman, solve all those problems if you have time. Certainly, if you get the majority, <laughs> if you can, and especially well, in we the immigration. Well, we got to get back, and I appreciate Brian get talking to you. Go get him, Congressman Michael McCall. Uh, he's trying to solve them uh, the best he can. When we come back, your turn. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Lincoln was smitten with Douglas. He knew that he was a, a prophetic figure. He knew that he carried some baggage with him politically, but he wanted to meet Douglas. I mean, they were the two great orators. And, you know, Douglas was stunned at how Lincoln could craft things like the Gettysburg Address. That Gettysburg Address was in the soul of Frederick Douglass. He was trying to say exactly that, and then Lincoln found the words with such concision and inspiration and talking about reconciliation and the, and the need for our country to heal and, and be a, a country without racial animosity. So they're, in many ways, they're very similar people. They're using their oratory to move the masses. So that is uh, Douglas Brinkley, who's helping us out with the special that airs November 7th. Uh, at 10 o'clock, right here on Fox News Channel. It's uh, based on my book, The President of Freedom Fighter, that comes out on the 2nd, uh, and it is Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, and the Battle to Save America's Soul. It's Frederick, not Stephen Douglass. Started off as Frederick Bailey. And uh, just remarkable people uh, who came from nowhere to, to rise up and save America at a time in which we arguably needed them most. And uh, I chronicle their story, and it's amazing how much of their story is applicable today because some people never want to let it go. Some people don't want to acknowledge it, and some people have it in perspective, and I would argue it's kind of Lisa Rice. I'll be doing some live signings in person, and here's where I'll be. In Manhasset, New York, at Publicans, this great restaurant on Plan Dome Road, November 3rd. On November 4th in Staten Island, Barnes & Noble in Staten Island Mall. Lawrenceville, Georgia, Books A Million, so meet me there uh, in Lawrenceville. Uh, that'll be great. Lexington, Kentucky, the 40th Annual Kentucky Book Festival. Then on Sunday, some tickets remain in Charleston Coliseum at the Convention Center. I'm going to be talking about all my books, Winning the War on History, American History, November 7th, Charleston, West Virginia, hotbed of Fox supporters. Let's see everybody out there. Governor Justice could be uh, joining us. Doylestown, Pennsylvania, one day in and out at Salem United Church of Christ. That will be November 11th, so see you there around dinner time. Albany, New York, my first trip upstate, the Book House of Stuyvesant Plaza, going around there just about every weekend. And then that's on November 12th on the 13th, Elkhart, Indiana. I have tickets remaining for November 21st in Orlando, Florida, WDBO listeners, so get them. VIP opportunities, we could hang out before the show and I could personalize uh, these books. Uh, also be in, uh, in Jacksonville, but that is uh, sold out. And then I'll be uh, finishing up in Clearwater, uh, Clearwater on December 4th, which is getting close to sold out. Just a few tickets left. So I hope to see everyone out there. With the time remaining, let's see if we need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Dave Chappelle responding personally for the first time since outrage over his Netflix special, The Closer. Uh, they led to protest or about his, some of his comments about transgender people. I've heard it. It is no big deal, but it is a big deal. They do not want to air his documentary because evidently he's radioactive now. Uh, his quote is, I'm more than willing to give you an audience, according to the transgender protests, but you will not summon me. 
I love it. Next, 43% of viewers watch the Super Bowl for the advertisements. 57% tune in for the actual game. This according to a big uh, Omnicom marketing arm. When it comes to those ads, 97% of respondents want spots that make them laugh. Next. Oh, my goodness. we got to start this earlier. I have like 20 pages. Well, you got you have too many events to promote. Right, that's true. That's my fault. <laughs> Tonight at 7, I'm going to finish up with four major stories, four of which are in this packet. I'm doing uh, primetime tonight, so join me on Fox News Channel at 7 o'clock. Amongst our guests, Shelby Steele and Dan Crenshaw. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.